Okay, people, I've got a new podcast for you for the Props Network. My guest is Sarah Eckert. She has some great stories from her days interviewing and working with athletes, covering the Super Bowl and college championship, all kinds of games. We talk about her time as an anchor reporter during the final season of Joe Paterno at Penn State. You definitely want to hear her talk about a secret Hollywood basketball league she covered with stars before they were big stars. Her time covering the Houston Astros and how that correlates to what they are going through now with Trash Can Gate. And we cover her very career working for Fox Sports and ESPN. But first, let's hear from Michael Wilbon, who shares his thoughts about Sarah. This is Just for Sport in three, two, one. We have a mutual friend, very close friend that I have gotten to know over the years, Sarah Eckert. Um, she works for you. Do you remember meeting her for the first time? Yeah, in Houston at an All-Star game in like 2005 or something. I don't, I don't wow. know if the game was a long time ago. No, it was the Super Bowl. Super Bowl in Houston. Super Bowl, That's bingo. Okay, she'll be very impressed to know yeah. you remember that. Um, what has it been like working with her? I'm I'm gonna interview her shortly on the, on the pod just for sport, but you know she's had such a varied career on and off camera. Um, she's yeah. worked in L.A., yeah. New York. How has she helped you? Well, as a, as a person who's closest to me every day, mm-hmm. she has to you know have a life that includes being like a producer and an editor mm-hmm. uh, and being a gatekeeper. That's what happens, and so it's like. God helps Sarah. She didn't know when she married me 15 years ago. We, she wound up working for me, but she's, you know, she's the gatekeeper. She's the person that, that starts off every day having to put up with me. And putting up with old crotchety people like Tony and me is not easy. <laughs> so she, she doesn't work for PTI. She works for me. Yeah. And she, she, she is uh, one of the rays of sunshine, uh, you know, in, in normal times when days are not difficult. I don't have, I, I, I ain't going to sit here and tell you how difficult days normally because I don't. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the people, uh, the PTI staff, previous to that, the Washington Post, the young staffers and co-workers. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's an alumni group at the Washington Post that includes people that you know very well, yeah. including people like David Aldridge and Jay Adande and, uh, you, know, and, and, you know, Rachel Nichols. Mm-hmm. And these are some of the alums of, of the Washington Post. And it's people like that that mean we don't have bad days. We don't have hard, I don't have hard days, difficult days. Yeah. Um, but 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 the days that are complicated and involved and layered and sometimes a little overwhelming, Sarah is the first person in line to deal with all that, and so I can't imagine getting through it without her. Sarah, uh, that was quite a compliment coming from Michael Wilbon. Um, I am just amazed that I want to thank you for helping to get him on. But to think that you and Michael have spanned all the way back to 2004 and you telling me that, you know, that's when you met him. But realistically, it was later on in your career that you actually started working for him. But obviously, you left an impression on him because he kept thinking about you and wanting to work with you. Just talk about the beginning of how your relationship grew. Um, yeah, and I was, in, I was impressed that he remembered because <laughs> he he's met so many people in his life and his career. Um, but it was the 2004 Super Bowl, 
And I was just helping. John McClain is this Hall of Fame uh, NFL sports writer. He works for the Houston Chronicle. He still works for the Houston Chronicle. Um, but he's helped so many people get jobs in the sports industry. He's amazing. Like, so many people have him to thank for just him connecting people. But he was, so the Houston Super Bowl 2004, he was being asked to do a zillion things, but he had to work. So he, um, you know, by all these incoming media and friends, and so he asked me to help him out. So it was basically like a host, the hostess of the Super Bowl in, in Houston. So I remember standing in the convention center um, and I, don't, I can't even remember where. Maybe it was a host committee booth or something. I started mm-hmm. walking around, and I saw Michael Wilbon just kind of standing there, turning in circles. And I walked up to him, and I said, uh, you look lost. May I help you with something? Or can I help you with something? And he said, um, yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make dinner reservations. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm your girl. Because, first of all, I'm a big foodie. I love eating. I was big on the Houston food scene, and Houston has amazing food, by the way. And um, that's what I was doing. I was helping people with whatever they needed, reservations to um, VIP experiences at NASA, food, uh, restaurant reservations, rockets, game tickets, just whatever people needed that were, they were bothering John McClain with. So I actually met a lot of people that Super Bowl, mm-hmm. um, a lot of big names in media and sports. And so um, it, was a, it was a great experience for me. But Mike asked me, and it was when PTI was just on the air for a couple years or so, and he asked me to come work for him. Um, at the Super Bowl the next year, Jacksonville, we obviously remained friends um, after that Super Bowl, and I actually saw him two weeks later out of the NBA All-Star game in L.A., and um, we just remained friends, and he asked me to come work for them at PTI at the Jacksonville Super Bowl the next year, and so I did that, and I was actually in San Diego at the time taking um, broadcasting classes, mm-hmm. and this was way after I finished my undergrad um, at University of Texas, but I was out there, I quit my job, I'd worked for NFL Sports agents in Houston. I quit. I went out there, um, was taking some broadcasting classes, and I went back to Jacksonville. I went over to Jacksonville to work, you know, with PTI and Mike on the set that week, and um, then he asked me to come work for him permanently, and I, you know, I declined, slightly declined, because I was pursuing broadcasting, and so he hired someone else. Um, she worked with them until, like, I think 2010, and he asked me to come work for him again then, but I had uh, just taken a job as a sports reporter in State College, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And so it was my first real sports uh, reporter job. So I had to decline again. And then um, I was working for a Comcast Sportsnet in Houston, and it went bankrupt, and everyone was laid off. This was 2014, and um, the end of 2014. And so he asked me to come work for him again. It just took, it took some time for that to actually materialize, but because I was working for a radio station then, and then the person that was um, working in place was still working with him and wasn't sure when, you know, that was going to, that transition was going to happen, but I finally started working with him in 2016, so it finally happened, and I was happy to do it. I, I love DC, and I love him, and it was just an easy choice. Yeah. Uh, I, we Obviously, we always see Michael Wilbon on television. How would you describe him off-camera? Well, I mean, I, I think his humor definitely comes across on air. So he's hilarious. Obviously, super intelligent, which makes his, you know, his humor even, I don't know, just better to me because, uh, you know, you can step, step up your game when you're around him uh, to get his humor. But he's extremely generous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just, just, you know, he he even, he admits he can be a crotchety old man. <laughs> he's so funny. <laughs> he can be, you know, like, 
he could be stubborn for sure, but I mean, and uh, but that I think that's what makes him so good at what he does. He he at the show, you know, he 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 believes in what he's saying, and he's stubborn about it, and he's gonna back what he's saying. So um, kind of makes it sometimes like I feel like I, I I can't ever be right, which is probably true. I'm probably never right around him, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I I absolutely love it. He's the nicest funniest, most generous guy. I, I'm, I'm so blessed. Every well, day I count my blessings. Because the thing is, I mean, I can imagine you count your blessings because uh, you get to work with him, but I feel like it also adds to your relationship because he calls you the gatekeeper, but you also having been on air talent, and as we'll get into later, working with a lot of big name athletes, celebrities, other um, dignitaries, that you kind of understand what he's going through, like, because you were in his shoes at at one point or another, too. Yeah, I think that, that definitely helps, and what really helps as well is, like, I've worked in sports for over 20 years. I have a ton of contacts, so, um, and especially because my first job out of college was working for the Houston Rockets, so, um, and the, the guy that was head of PR, Tim Frank, with the Rockets then is now, like, high up in PR at, in communications at the NBA, and so, um, there were a lot of people that were in my Rolodex before I even started working for Mike. And when he asked me to do something, I mean, I get, I just get stuff done. And so mm-hmm. it's much easier. I'm very resourceful and I already had a lot of contacts. So, um, it's just, that's really helped, uh, you know, him. It's just, it's easy for me to get stuff done for him. And, um, yeah, me understanding the media world, um, I, what's really helpful is that he gets a ton of requests for interviews, whether it's print, TV, um, a lot of documentaries. He's, you know, going to be featured big in the MJ doc coming out in April 19th. And, um, you know, I understand I set up the shoots mm-hmm. and all the people that I work with, they're like, God, this is like the easiest shoot we've ever done. Like, you've been so helpful because I used to produce, I, and I still feel produced, but yeah. I really am still produced. So yeah. I really understand how to do shoots. And so that's very helpful in, you know, what he does as well. Uh, it's when I talk to him, you know, getting off of your relationship with him uh, and and talking about you, you know, you two are have a symbiotic relationship and both of you are constantly on the go. You mentioned an interview on a documentary. Um, uh, PTI is somewhat going on. But, you know, with this coronavirus pandemic, what has it been like for you to almost not stop down, but a different way of communicating, a different way of working. What has it been like over the last month and a half or so? Um, you know, it's, it's, the thing with Mike is he's gone a lot. And Mm -hmm. anyone who watches the show knows that. So I'm used to kind of just working remotely with him and just having phone conversations with him. Um, you know, it's nice when I see him in the office and it's, it, it, there's things I can, you know, I kind of go, my time to really sit down and go over stuff with him is when he's getting his makeup done. <laughs> and he's the kind of, he comes in and he's rushing to, you know, get get to the show and I let him just concentrate on the show. And then when he's getting his makeup done, unless he's like he's running late, then I won't really bother him during makeup. Um, and then sometimes we'll have time after the show to go over things, but sometimes he's just like in a hurry to get out of there. So, um, you know, it hasn't really changed as much because, he, you know, there's not as much going on. I will say, like, I'm still fielding, requests for him and uh like interview requests because he's obviously still, still doing radio and stuff and he'll yeah. still do some shows but you know, he's out he's out and doing the show in phoenix right now so it's definitely been slower 
um, with him. I think I, I'm working with ESPN right now on a promotional publicity plan for um, the Michael Jordan doc that's coming out. But other than that, um, what's really slowed down for me is the freelancing that I do on the side because well, a lot of the freelancing I do is working live sporting events, mm-hmm. and obviously those are no longer. Yeah. So that's been harder for me. And let's follow. Let's stay on that theme. You know, being a freelancer in sports. Um, I was um, actually you shared the article too. Uh, Turner Sports and CBS agreed to pay all of their tax, utilities, and freelancers, even though they canceled the NCAA's. Uh, what? How has that been like for you? Not having that. Not you know. Obviously, the income is a big part of it, but I feel like we all in sports. We follow that sports calendar, and now our lives are just kind of up in the air, thinking about what what are we going to do next and how to fill the time. Yeah, um, you know, I have not struggled with that as much. Obviously, I, the NCAA tournament is the highlight of the year. Um, but I realize, um, and I listen, I. I live off sports. I, I have my TV on games all the time when I'm at home. I'm just not home that much. I, I'm out and about. I'm single. I, you know, I have a lot of friends in D.C. I like to get out and do things. So um, I, you know, obviously there's a lot of stuff that I, I have a long to-do list. And so it has not been as hard on me without sports as, as a lot of people are saying because I've turned my attention to other things that have been on my to-do list forever. And mm-hmm. I've been able to focus more on that stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. With the uncertainty of the leagues, you say you have sports on all the time, which is funny because, you know, you talked about the USC-Texas game. The other night we were supposed to record, and then you said, <laughs> hey, can we postpone because I actually want to watch a football game. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Did you enjoy Texas-USC? I mean, it was just as exciting as the first time. And thank you so much for being understanding about that. <laughs> Obviously, I could have recorded it and watched it later, but I wanted to watch it in real time because what's fun about now, because Twitter did not exist back then, social media did not exist. So to be able to read players um, that live tweeting, mm-hmm. and just everyone live tweeting during that game was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it, it really added to the experience. So, And I was able to obviously pause the game and look at tweets and started up again and, you know, watch it with everyone else. And, I, you know, I'm texting all my friends and, like, we're going back and forth. And it's just – that made it just a different experience and very enjoyable. Um, and I was still just, like, smiling the whole next day. It was just phenomenal game. And, and, I, and I, I tweeted this out. I, I posted on my social media as well. But it was a perfect day for a throwback picture because – I actually have a picture of me on the sideline of that game mm-hmm. because I was working, one of my jobs was working for the ABC affiliate out there. And um, I had covered USC that entire season leading yeah. up to that game. And I had to do, every Monday, I had to go do the media scrums, Pete Carroll, Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, and, you know, whatever other players our, our station wanted because we had a weekly uh, sports zone show, actually Monday night. So they sent me up to do the interviews because the guys I was older and I'd already been about around athletes. So they treated me, like, even though I was interning, I was, they treated me like a normal reporter. So, yeah. um, that was really cool. But I just knew I had a, just some crazy feeling that they were going to play my Longhorns in the Rose Bowl yeah. in the championship game. And that's what happened. And nothing, there's no better setting than the Rose Bowl for a football game. Um, and it was perfect weather and just, I mean, I, 
everyone like, is still in awe at the heavyweight on that field and how Vince Young actually stood out from all those heavyweights. It was, yeah, it was phenomenal to watch it again. Yeah. I recorded. I'm, I'm never going to rewrite this. <laughs> and it was a Rose Bowl for the national championship. Many people say it was their favorite uh, or the best college football championship game of all time. Was it difficult for you to have to work, not only work, but you're working in some ways covering USC, but inside, obviously, you're rooting for Texas. Like, when you look back on that time, what was that like for you to have to be in that environment at that game? I mean, it's obviously easily hands down, I'm going to root for Texas, but when you're in the media, you can't cheer. So, regardless, I couldn't cheer for the Longhorns. Um, Especially in that picture... Um, I look, I'm in shock actually because Vince Young had just scored that game winning touchdown on the opposite, like I was on the same end of the field, but the opposite corner. Mm-hmm. And one of my colleagues just shouted at me like, Sarah, turn around. And he snapped a picture of me. I didn't know he was going to do it. And I look, I have a stupid look in my face because I'm just in shock. <laughs> so I can't believe I actually posted the picture, but <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I have some proof that I was there, but we were on the field, you know, those last five minutes of the game. Cause when you're in media, you can be down on the field the last five minutes. So yeah. I was, it was just, you know, people always ask me since I've worked in sports for so long, what's your favorite sports moment? I mean, hands down. I mean, that's easily my favorite sports moment. And yeah. So blessed to have been there. Yeah. Uh, College football. I mean, people seem to think it's going to come back. The president says NFL may start on time. When do you see sports coming back? I mean, it's so hard to tell. I mean, even if, I mean, we really have no idea what's going on right now. I know people to fill time, they're going to sit here and try to predict and make plans. They have, you have to make plans for Mm -hmm. when you think it might start. But we really have no idea. And even so, like, even if the teams start playing, when can you actually start having fans? Large groups of people like that congregate together. When is it safe to do that? Like, it might be safe for teams to come back and play in empty stadiums, arenas, but maybe not get those large crowds together. And even even then, how many people can afford to go to those games and pay tickets? Obviously, sporting events are expensive. And people, so many people now are not they're going to be struggling for a long time financially. So, I mean, you got to take all that into consideration. But, I mean, praying that football does start on time. We hope Mm -hmm. that things will just be better in this country and with the virus by then for that to happen. Would you put money on it? What what do you think the odds are that that football, at least football, will start on time? I mean, I I think it will. I think it will. I just don't know at what capacity for the crowd. Yeah. I don't know if they have to limit crowds or, you know, if it can be the, you know, filling stadiums. I just don't know about that. Okay. Let's, 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 let's go back to your career. If, you know, you mentioned you work for the Rockets, Comets, and Thunder Bears, your first job, the Comets, what, won back-to-back-to-back-to-back championships? They and, did. And the Rockets had Barkley, Olajuwon, Drexler... Uh, just yeah, I'm aging myself. <laughs> no, it's it's okay. It's okay. We're we're all we're all we're at the same around the same age. Um, what what was that like? Just being there, and especially because that was like the beginning of the WNBA, and the Rockets were playing. Right? Weren't they playing? Did they make it to the NBA Finals? Then? No, no, they didn't. They, the, I mean, they didn't make the playoffs. Western they didn't Co- make the finals. They didn't make the finals, but they made the playoffs, right? Maybe Western Conference Finals. Yeah. 
they, yeah. they definitely made playoffs, um, um, especially with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what was that like back then? You know, because, I mean, I, I don't, do you think sports has changed since then? What, what were the differences when you were first starting, you think? Well, and, you know, and that was my first job out of college. So basically, all, I mean, what I can remember, just how fun it was, because we were a young staff. I mean, we all, like, we all worked hard, but we played hard. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's like that for a lot of uh, sports sports teams in general, because, you know, sports and entertainment, they just don't pay well in general. You know, like, they're considered glamour jobs. So they know you can be easily replaced by someone younger willing to come and work for less. So there's a lot of turnover, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, starting with, you know, Rudy T being the coach, which congratulations to him for making it into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he and, – and it was just a fun organization. And, you know, we had three professional teams, so it was a lot of work. We, we never had an off-season. And I'll, I'll tell you – and, you know, I, I worked in a great department. I worked in um, – started in marketing, but community relations, where I worked closely with the players, so I really got to know, you know, them more than maybe other people in the organization, and, but what I really remember about that time is the Houston Comets, because those games were so much fun, they were sold out, I mean, winning championships in any sport, that's always fun, and like, we'd always, um, it would always be around Labor Day weekend, and so we'd always have, you know, the championship parade, you know, we got to ride on, you know, in the parade, which obviously all staff members do when a team wins. And we got championship rings. We got, um, we obviously had a big party. And then our owner would always let us off that week. Mm-hmm. Close the office. So um, I, I just remember those games really sticking out as, as being particularly fun. Yeah. And, and, you know, the big three, when the WNBA started out, we had the big three, Tina Thompson, Cheryl Swoop, and, and Cynthia, Cynthia Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, that, that's that was... I mean, heck, now you got to have a big four, at least in the NBA. I mean, the Mystics are the defending championship champions. I feel like they had a, a one in Elena Deladon and then maybe one A in Emma Mieseman. But uh, it, yeah, it's that was amazing. That really was. And realistically, I mean, you had three Hall of Famers on the Rockets too: uh, Barkley, yeah. Olajuwon, and, Drex- and Drexler. Uh, when you, yeah, yeah. what? During that time, did you uh, you transitioned out of community relations and marketing? Was it something deep down inside of you that made you decide, okay, I want to go back to taking broadcasting classes at a community college and wanting to do more on air work? Um, you know what it was. I, I think I kind of thought about it, you know, here and there, whatever. Um, one of my best friends. Um, she was a teacher in San Diego, and she, and actually, there's there some time in between. Like, I had actually quit the Rockets and moved out to, um, to this is right after, after September 11th, but mm-hmm. I moved out to Vegas for a mm-hmm. while, and I moved back to Houston. That's when I worked on the Super Bowl, and then I started working for NFL sports agents, and I was visiting one of my best friends out in San Diego. She quit teaching, and this was Labor Day weekend when you're, she quit teaching, and she was taking broadcasting classes at this community college, San Diego City College, and they actually had a really good program, broadcasting program there, and um, they did a 30-minute newscast. And so I went to visit her, and she's like, Sarah, you know, I know you've kind of always thought about this. Like, you should quit your job. Come out here and take classes with me. We need more people in the class. We're shorthanded. You know, I, I quit teaching and blah, blah, blah. So I literally went back, resigned from my job, and within two weeks I packed up my car and moved out there. 
uh, and took classes with her. And but I only did it for a couple semesters because I was older. Like I said, I've already done kind of a lot of you know things to prepare me for that mm-hmm. to kind of train me a little bit. But then I got internships up in LA that next summer, mm-hmm. and so I moved up there, did a couple internships that summer, did one starting with ABC, KABC, the affiliate that um, fall, and that's when I was covering USC for them, and then, um, and other teams as well, I was covering UCLA as well, that's when, like, Maurice Jones-Drew and Mercedes Lewis were there. Yeah. Those are two studs across across town that everyone forgets about, so, um, but then, and then I started working for Fox Sports Radio as Mm -hmm. well during that that fall, Mm -hmm. um, that's my my job, so. um, And you are, you are. you were on ESPN Hollywood for a little bit, which was kind of like I went, the... I worked behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. I've, done, I've done a lot of things. So um, when I first moved up there, yeah, I was interning, but I was also doing other little odd end jobs, and that's something I did that summer for a couple months. Um, but yeah, behind the scenes. But that was and, that um, was kind of... Really... Was that like ESPN's first attempt at like West Coast, a West Coast production, right? Um, yeah, and it, it's funny because right now I'm actually working uh, with a, a few guys who worked on that show, and I didn't even I didn't know them back then. But um, Mike Foss, he, he well, he was working out of our office. He just got promoted. And he's had to move to Bristol. But actually, and I just went to visit. Speaking of him, I just went when I was in I was in Vegas before all this, right before the weekend it shut down, mm-hmm. um, and they were going to debut the new studio out there that weekend on Selection Sunday, and they did pushing it back, obviously, yeah. but I went by and saw the new studio, and we were caught to talk, and we were talking for a long time, talking about ESPN in Hollywood, and they were like, we were working, him and another guy in the studio, like, we were working on that show, yeah. we actually, you know, we we did that show, I'm like, oh my gosh, so I'm sure we crossed paths back then, but we didn't realize it, Yeah. so, um, but, you know, that was really fun, because the, the beauty of, of living in LA and working in sports is, it's a crossover between sports and entertainment, such mm-hmm. a crossover, and I love that. Mm-hmm. And that's actually my dream job is to be a sports entertainment reporter. So, um, so I, I got to see when I did that show. It was so short lived, but you know, story ideas they came up with, and I kind of carried that over when I did on air radio in Los Angeles and just other things I did freelancing. I got to experience more of the crossover between sports and entertainment. But I got a good kind of view of it and background of it as soon as I moved up to LA and worked on ESPN Hollywood right away. Yeah. And, and and at Fox Sports Radio, you were the first female producer. What, right? I mean, what what was that like for you to kind of, like you're talking about? You you got to work right away. You you knew what you were getting into. You weren't like a a, a fresh. Uh, well, I guess it would be a senior, but someone coming right out of college at a job. You had some experience that made you more valuable to get up and running immediately. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't. The, the thing with, with that is, um, and I, I was still I was still older at that time, but it, it you just have to do a lot of research for the guys, and you just have to have chemistry with them and get along with them. But it's it's you know producing there entailed like you know obviously screening calls, booking guests, um, cutting promos from the show, uh, doing recaps of the of the show, doing a rundown of the show, um, obviously. Get, just researching and giving stats to the on-air talent. And, you know, what's fun about Fox Sports Radio is they, they actually employ, you know, ex-athletes. You know, there were definitely normal hosts or whatever, but they would always usually pair them with ex-athletes or coaches. So you got a lot of more, I think, valuable insights on those shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really fun working there because I worked with a lot of fun people. 
Yeah. I was there for a couple years. Yeah. Can you tell me about this NBA Hollywood League? You did you you covered that during the time where you were at Fox Sports Radio or seven ten uh, so ESPN Radio? Yeah, I also I've always freelanced. So, so okay. Um, so I started I freelanced for the NBA. Uh, my biggest clients out there were in the NBA, and then I did some stuff for ESPN here and there. But um, the, the first assignment it was two, I think November two thousand October maybe two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I ever did for NBA was cover it's NBA Entertainment was my client. So they the NBA used to back this Hollywood league, NBA league, um, and it was just a bunch of celebrities, and they played this little remote, like this high school gym in Santa Monica, and you know no one you can public the public could not come in. You had to be invited, so it's just friends and family of the of the players. Wow, and I. Um, so I had to cover at the at a, at a club one night. They did their um, their draft party, and I had to interview some of the, some of the guys. So the first person I interviewed was Ice Cube. It was amazing. Like he was he was like you know looking at me out you know without Ice Cube look like just very stern. And as soon as I started, and I was kind of scared. Yeah. And the, 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 as soon as I started asking him about the league, he turned into like a kid in a candy store. He was so excited because and all these celebrities were so excited because. With the NBA backing, they had uniforms just like NBA players. They wow. had the, you know, the travel gear. They had the bags. The championship rings were made by the same jeweler as who made the, the championship rings for the NBA. So, um, you know, they had real reps. I mean, it, it was this is crazy. And I'm looking, I'm actually looking at my roster. Oh, actually, this is 2000, 2007. I, I take it back, 2007, because it's 2007, 2008 roster. But yeah. I, I was like, I had highlighted big names back then. There are names I did not highlight that are now huge names, like <laughs> Kevin Hart, oh um, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, <laughs> I mean, names that I had, you know, on one team, on Ice Cube's team, had, they had Justin Timberlake and Snoop Dogg. And, you know, they were Mark Wahlberg playing in it, Will Ferrell, what? Tom, um, Terry, Terry Crews. It, it, it was amazing. Obviously, you know, not... It, it, they're all so busy. It was really hard to get them together at the same time. There'd be sometimes those just be just five players or, yeah. or whatever. And I didn't. Luckily, I became friends with the commissioner, and he would invite me to some games if I went to watch a few times. But the league only backed up, I think, for a couple more years or a year or two after that. And then, but then another the company. There's another company that took it over. So I don't even know if it's still in existence. It, it probably still is. Yeah, to some degree. Could they anyway, play? Was, like, oh, was it good basketball? I'm just looking at. Huh? Could they play? Was it good basketball? Um, yeah, there were definitely some ballers. Yeah, I, <laughs> I will say, mm, Will Ferrell. That, that's one that kind of sticks on my mind. That maybe, maybe because he's a little slow. I don't know, or maybe he's <laughs> having an off night. But I didn't like. I never got to see Justin Timberlake play. I saw Ice Cube. Um, Adam Sandler. I didn't see Adam Sandler play, but I know he's. I know he's pretty good. Can you go down the uh, rosters yeah. a little more for me? Like, go down the ro- a whole team. Who was on a team? A whole team. Um. Well, I'm just the one I mentioned with Ice Cube, Justin Timberlake, and Snoop. Like, there's the Jaleel White. Jaleel White. Wow. Jason Family Bonner. Matters. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of they're, they're, they're also studio execs and musicians. I mean, it's not it's not all like oh okay games. okay like people. You know what I mean? Like, it's people who work in the business. Like Sal Masakala. He used to be like a sports entertainment reporter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely other people in the business. Okay. Besides just... 
That's a big name. Wait, and they had a draft. Like, who were the captains for the draft? Or maybe you don't know that part, but that's pretty yeah, amazing. I can't even remember, but I remember I, Ice Cube was definitely one. But I don't even remember how they did the draft. God, it's been so long. Do you? They, I don't know if they. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just I don't know. I I don't I, I just don't remember how they did it. I wish I could. I, I wish I could remember. I wish I could find that video. I should, I should go back because obviously I did this for a reason. NBA Entertainment did a story on it. So yeah. I need to ask and see if that still exists anywhere. Well, because I feel like it sounds like this may have been what evolved to the celebrity game during All-Star Weekend, so to speak. I don't remember no, when don't that started. When the celebrity game started. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. when it started, but I Look feel it like up. it must be. I don't know. I mean, because, let me see. <laughs> but it could. Yeah. I, mean, I would think that the, the All-Star game, I, I would think the celebrity game would have been around longer than that, though. Yeah. But at, okay, so at that time you were on-air talent and a reporter for an afternoon show. Did you talk about it on seven ten ESPN Radio, or you couldn't really talk about it? Even though I guess NBA Entertainment was doing stories on it. Yeah. So um, actually, two years at, at Fox Sports Radio, I had left there because I got an on-air job at seven ten ESPN Radio, and they were kind of just going through a tr- transition. I think it was kind of the time when just people in the industry. People that had been in, you know, place for a long time, they have seniority, they're making, you know, their contracts were huge. I think they were kind of just starting to get purged or moved around and contract, contracts restructured. So they kind of moved, it's a long time, really popular afternoon show to mm-hmm. the midday and they kind of, I think, you know, they got, they let go of one of the guys and it was not a popular move. And they mm-hmm. decided to try something totally different. And so um, they put together this, Sports Talk Variety Show, mm-hmm. and it was, um, you know, Dave Damashek, who came from Pittsburgh, and he used to write for The Man Show, Jimmy Kimmel, used to do a pod, uh, radio show with Adam Carolla, you know, he's done, you know, he's really funny, so intelligent and bright and, you know, just brilliant with mm-hmm. putting stuff together, and now he's on the NFL Network, and he does amazing work with NFL Network, he's just so funny, mm-hmm. um, but... And then we had a one-man house band in studio with us. Oh, my gosh. We would do fun stuff. Yeah. And so, obviously, that is not an ESPN brand show. Yeah. That did not last very long. Yeah. <laughs> that experiment, experiment did, not, did not last long. But it was really fun the time it lasted. And I'm sure I did talk about that. I don't remember, but I'm sure I did yeah. talk about this. Well, I, I mean. I would almost guarantee I mean, it's a shame it didn't last. I mean, I feel like it's, you know, it was so different avant-garde that, you know, I think it's it's tough for a show, like, for people to give it legs. You know, I think in so many ways, there are a lot of shows that, like, after the fact, you were ahead of your time. Now it might be yeah, okay. Exactly. But that's yeah. tough. It was definitely, we definitely had a cult following, um, but it was not, you know, it's in L.A. where people believe purple and gold. So... Mm-hmm. Even though at the time, 710 ESPN Radio now is now um, the flagship of the Lakers, but it wasn't before yeah. another station. So, um, but we still were supposed to talk about the Lakers most of the time. And, yeah. You know, that that was that that wasn't didn't really fit in with our brand of show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can see why I didn't laugh. But again, it was something different to give LA people, you know, yeah. give them something different to listen to for a while anyway. And if you did, you know, different kind of interviews, you got to interview Kobe, uh, would you, you would make the interview different? Not yeah. so much asking about basketball, yeah. but kind of like off, right. off, off 
sport, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah, and I did that with, you know, all the athletes. My role, um, and we all had nicknames, so my role, Dave Himmichek, he just, like, I think one of the first days, he just, like, blurted out, 504 is Sarah. So that was my name, my character's <laughs> name throughout the whole show. And so I would go do fun interviews with athletes. And sometimes they were on serious matter, but I would twist it yeah. to get them, uh, you know, to get them to answer it in a, you know, a different way. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I might get offended, but that's, Damashek loved it when they would get offended. He thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and so that means I was doing my job. But yeah, so I would do fun things. I would play games with them. And the thing I got to do with Kobe was, um, and I, I played a few games with him as well, but like after uh, there's the media scrums at practice, mm-hmm. he would, we'd, they'd do it right outside the, the locker room, but it, he would let me just kind of grab, you know, talk to him before he ran in from the media scrub into scrum into a, the locker room. And so there's, yeah, there's just a few things that just shoot in the breeze. And I mean, they were short, but it's just fun. We will always, obviously always play those clips on air. Yeah. It was getting to know him a little bit on a more personal level. And thank goodness, because, you know, now since this, since this death, um, people, you, you know, hear about all these amazing stories about how he was so smart and, um, so funny and so generous and, uh, you know, we got to, I got to, that came through in some of my interviews with him. So mm-hmm. we got to play some of those clips. And I, you know, one thing that stands out in my mind, I posted this on my social media, but my favorite memory of him was just shooting the breeze. And I was asking like, oh, have you been ever been to karaoke? And he said, yeah, you know, I, one time, I, one or two times after one or two Coronas. And I was just thinking to myself, yeah, right, you don't drink. <laughs> but maybe <laughs> you did, I don't know. But, uh, but I was like, oh, really, what, what did you, what did you think? And he said, oh, uh, they will survive. And I was like, oh, you mean I will survive? He's like, yeah, yeah, I will survive. And so I was like, oh, I would love to hear you sing that. I was like, oh, yeah, I have got five go-to songs. He's like, oh, really, what are they? So I told him my five go-to songs. And he, and he said, oh, yeah, so those are like your turnaround, fade away, the buzzer. And yeah. that's, he compared my five <laughs> go-to songs to his go-to shots, which was phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> that's phenomenal. So. I mean, to. a great to... memory. I, I can only imagine how tough that is to be able to smile and remember something, you know, wonderful and funny of Kobe after such a shocking, tragic death. Um, but, it, you know, I, you, you post that on Facebook as, a, as, as your way of connecting and, and maybe coping in a way. I mean, it, you know, because I know it was tough for everyone when he passed away. Anyone in sports who had a connection to Kobe had to reflect on something that, um, an experience or a moment they have with him. And it's amazing how many people had uh, just awesome stories to tell, of even if it's just like a, a two-second interaction with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just touched so many people's lives. And, and I, I, you know, I was at Super Bowl when that happened. Uh, we went in like eight days before because PTI went to, to Miami for Super Bowl. And I remember that day, that Sunday before, and I, uh, Mike was out on the golf course, so we didn't even get to talk to him until way later. But I, I feel like I kind of had to live it a little bit longer. Um, you know, obviously it just kind of put a damper on the week, but being with Mike and Mike being so close to the situation, he really, we had to go in that night. He was in studio all night doing specials and doing hits. And so I, I just felt a little bit closer to the situation. But, um, and just having to be with him, they did a special show on it the next day and kind of throughout. And throughout the week, and so um, yeah, just to hear 
everyone's stories and see all these people post all these great memories. It kind of I feel I feel it helps people cope a little. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's. I mean, as an announcement that he's going to go into the Hall of Fame is just, you know, it's a no-brainer. It's, it just, I, I mean, I feel like he would have been first ballot Hall of Famer anyway, but now it's, I think it would have been what, he would have still had to wait another two or three years, but now he's going to go in, um, you know, immediately and posthumously, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously that's very special and, and the right the right thing to do. Um, it's going to be... A phenomenal class. I mean, because Mike is actually Mike Wilbon is actually going in, um, receiving the Kurt Gowdy Award. So, oh, um, yeah, wow, to the Hall of Fame as well. Yeah, you didn't know that. No, I, I didn't. Set up the call. It was NBA All Star Weekend, and um, they had been trying to get a hold of him for at least a few days, like via email or trying to call him on the phone. But it was like a different phone number he wasn't recognizing, so he wasn't answering emails because he just thought it was normal business and don't get to it after All-Star Weekend because it was such a crazy time because it was in his hometown of Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. had a million things going on that week. So he's like, I'll just get, you know, answer those emails later. He didn't look at, you know, well, they didn't tell him what it was. They just were trying to reach him. Yeah. So they called me, um, particularly busy Friday for us, the um, Friday of the All-Star Weekend. He was going from 7 a.m. to like 2.30 in the morning. And in the middle, uh, someone from ESPN that we would work closely with, she's like, Sarah, you know, we got to get Mike on the phone. Um, they didn't tell me what it was, but like, we're going to call your phone as soon as you answer, like hand it to him but, and, and record, you have to be recording. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. I kind of had a feeling that's what it was. So I was like, oh, you know, whatever. But that's what it was. They cause were, it, yeah. Cause you were in the bowels of the arena, right? Or, or somewhere. Um, I remember it was a, a concrete background. Well, no, it, we were actually um, at Navy Pier because he's in the middle of filming uh, First Take. and Okay, film, Navy Pier, okay. You know, so, yeah, so that's where it was. Um, but, yeah, and he was, and it's, out, it's obviously it's on his social media, it's on my social media, too. Oh, that's right, because he's going in with Mike honor. Green, with him and Mike Green. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Exactly. Wow. Yep. And, yeah, what a class it's going to be. And then the, group, the guys from inside the NBA will be there, too. Yeah. My good old buddy Charles Barkley yeah. will be there. It'll be a treat. <laughs> yeah. And we just hope that it's still going to go on at this time because Mike is obviously, he's also um, got, got inducted into the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame, yeah. um, which is supposed to be at the end of June, and that got postponed until next year. Yeah. So, Man. hope the basketball, and you know, hoping, you know, the crowd, the amount of people will still be allowed to go to the basketball hall of fame. They might make it just for, yeah. you know, immediate family members. I mean, it's just, go. this, you know, this. Yeah, this year is just going to be, comp- it's just, man, I mean, unless a vaccine is right around the corner. And even then, they still may say, hey, we have to hold off for a little bit. Um, wow. Uh, ba- back to you, back to your career. Because um, we could talk about Will Bond and Barkley. I got some other questions, but you've done so much. I cannot believe that November 2010 is when you got your first consistent on-air job. In Altoona, PA. So yeah. you go West Coast to East Coast. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so crazy. I had been wanting to, you know, the whole time I was out in L.A., I was actually trying to do TV sports broadcasting. So I was trying to put together a demo. I covered, covered Cowboys training camp in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, put a little demo together from that. Did a little, you know, stuff for my internship. Wasn't really, I wasn't getting anything. Um, 
And then I covered Cowboys training camp in 2010, mm-hmm. and I, I did stories every single day, edited my own stuff. It was really like such a crash course, and I will always be thankful to the broadcasting department of the Cowboys for let, giving me that opportunity because I yeah. was really green, and they but they trusted me enough to put me out there, mm-hmm. and you know, I ended up. Yeah, editing, learning how to edit, and, and my, by the beginning of Cowboys training camp, and the end, my stories had improved so much, so much more. So mm-hmm. um, I was, I knew I was going to get a job after that because I was able to put together a really good demo, and so I um, got that job in Altoona, Pennsylvania, is a CBS affiliate, and but they actually had a news bureau in different towns all around Central PA, and mm-hmm. so I got to live in State College, Pennsylvania. They created um, a Penn State beat reporter position for me. I still covered, obviously, high school, the Steelers, the Pirates. We had two Pirates affiliates there, State Francis University as well, but mainly Penn State sports. So mm-hmm. when I got there, and uh, one thing real quick, too, that that year, I don't know, I don't think I told you this, but that year I was, so I was with an agent in L.A., and he would send me out on auditions to, and, to be a reporter in TV or movies or whatever. Yeah. And I got this because one of my good friends, he was he did this a lot in L.A., and he was actually the reporter in the commercial that Michael Jordan um, did the, the full-court shot. It was just him and a reporter. What? In, on the commercial. Yeah. Yeah, my friend was that reporter. <laughs> and so he was like, Sarah, you should try this too. So his agent signed me. So over the course of like two years, I went in a handful of auditions. I don't know, like eight or nine. And not just as a reporter, but as a spokesperson. So yeah. my first job I got was on Young and the Restless. Oh, my gosh. So, so I, was a, I was an AFTRA. I had to be, an, I had to be a, a member of AFTRA. This was before SAG and AFTRA merged. Yeah. But, so I had to be a member of AFTRA because that, to be on radio, on um, 710 ESPN radio. But, and so thank goodness Young and the Restless was AFTRA as well. So I had three lines. Um, and so, and both of my clips are on my YouTube channel. Yeah. So I did that twice in 2010. And I told the people, I was like, I'm sorry, I have to quit my reporter role on Young and the Restless because I actually got a real report, reporter job. <laughs> so, um, and, and it was funny, the week I drove myself from LA to State College, like over the course of three days, I moved myself. Um, my second appearance on the Young and the Restless had actually aired, so I wasn't able to watch it. So I got my new boss. Because it was on CBS, yeah. and my I was working for CBS affiliate, so my new boss reported it for me. So I got to watch it when I got got out to State College. But I was rolling in to State College, like literally at night on a Saturday night, and that's when Joe Paterno was winning his 400th game. Wow! I can see the lights in Beaver Stadium because Beaver Stadium sits up on a hill. Um, it's, it's Happy Valley is just stunning. It's gorgeous. So, yeah. Um, but it sits up on a hill, so obviously it illuminated the sky for many, many miles around. Yeah. As soon as I hit the Pennsylvania border, I started getting the game on my radio and so I was listening to it. So, you know, that was kind of something crazy just to drive into. And then me, um, the week I started in November 2010 was exactly the year, a year before, like a year later that same week is when he got fired. Wow. So within that year, all this stuff, crazy stuff happened. And so I was there obviously covering the historic events of him getting fired and then him dying and mm-hmm. um, Bill O'Brien mm-hmm. taking over. So uh, just very surreal. But, and, 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 and I don't want to, say I don't want to gloss over that. Let's get back to Joe Paterno. But before that, like, Sarah, you gave up young and the restless. I mean, the dedication to sports, one, I have to commend you on. But who knows where your career, do you ever think about where your career may have gone no. if you had stayed on young and the restless? 
Absolutely not. No, it wasn't like a recurring role. I mean, I happened to be there twice. But I don't know if they would have used me again. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. So, I mean, I maybe could have gotten another gig too, but no, I'm not. I'm a horrible actress. I, <laughs> I, I'm not good, but I can play a reporter role, obviously. <laughs> so, that's easy. <laughs> so, so, you never thought, okay, let me take acting classes now that I've got this little role? No. Okay. No, I, no. I didn't get a speaking part, but I was in Homeland for two, two episodes. Uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was a lot I still of fun. Got residual checks. You what? I, I still. I still got like. Really? Five years later, with my last check, because I guess I was like, "What is going on?" One for twenty thousand dollars. One was for thirty. One was for a dollar ninety-eight. You know. I mean, but it was still happening five years later. I was like, "What the heck?" But a, I. Um, I a dollar ninety-eight. Yeah. The stamp like, alone was probably like forty percent of the check. I've heard of people getting less than that. <laughs> but uh, first of all, I was thinking, I'm in the wrong business because think about how your life would be set up. Just like uh, like Brian Cranston said, his life was set after Malcolm in the Middle. Like wow. he was set financially for the rest of his life because just the residuals you get from something that plays over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I was like, think of the people who are in movies that yeah. the movies play, replay all the time. I just, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. But that was, it was a fun experience for sure. Yeah. So you go from a fun experience to what should have been a fun experience at Penn State. But, you know, talking about what Joe Pa had to go through, because that, that was kind of unceremonious, the way it just kind of ended for him and Bill O'Brien stepped in and everything with uh, Jerry Sandusky and then he passes away. That it should have been a great moment for you. But I can, I can only imagine the pressure that you were under to deliver as a sports anchor covering Joe Paterno, Joe Pa. Well, it didn't happen until a year after I got there. So I got yeah. a year of, of work under your belt. Learning on the job, fun. Um, I loved covering Penn State sports. I mean, yeah. they have so many varsity sports, and they're really good at most things. Mm -hmm. um, and I will tell you, one of my favorite things I've ever covered as a reporter was never thought in a million years I'd enjoy wrestling. I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't grow up with that. Our high schools in Texas did not have that. Yeah. But it's a huge thing in high school and then in Pennsylvania and obviously Midwest and then in Penn, at Penn State. So um, they had won one national championship before I got there, I think back in the 50s. And they and they always held the national championships like west of the Mississippi. So that year, 2011, I, I got there November 2010, 2011 um, was when they actually held the championships in Philadelphia. So I was able to go cover them. And one of the first stories I did there, when I first got there, I just, you know, to get story ideas right away, I just started reading, reading bios of players and coaches. And Cale Sanderson was an amazing story. Like, he never lost in any of the competitions, whether it's the Olympics, you know, obviously high school, college. What an amazing story. So um, he started a dynasty there. And I got to cover that first championship they won in 2011 in Philadelphia. They've been a dynasty ever since. I mean, it's pathetic. The other, last Sunday... Mm -hmm. They replayed on ESPN2. They replayed the 2013 National Championship in Wrestling. I sat here and watched it. You watched I'm it? Like, Two? Yes. Awesome. Because I, I, I wasn't there covering them then. Yeah. I covered 2011 and 2012. So I never really saw the 2013 one, but it's still guys, wrestlers that I've covered when I was there. So it's great to see them. It's just go back, going back and reliving and reliving my wrestling does. Like, I actually really enjoy wrestling. And I'll tell you, Matches at Penn State are unreal. Like, it's standing room only. They're held in Rec Hall, which is this tiny little 
hall where like the volleyball, the women's volleyball team had start, had a dynasty as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know the fans are so into it and they're so educated on the sport. It is really a phenomenal sport to cover there. So to cover to cover their first championship when they started as dynasty, they're still a dynasty right now. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredible. Wow. So that's one of my favorite things I've ever covered. But so I got to cover a lot of fun things before all that happened with Joe Paterno. And then obviously, um, you, you just go into adrenaline mode and thrown into the fire. And you know, during that time, you know, I I, I dealt a lot with like a lot of incoming Letterman because I really have a strong Letterman's club, like Letterman's group. That you know, they're very close. Most of them are so successful and. Some of them still live there, but some of them, a lot of them came in. So I got, you know, got to know a lot of them. I already knew some of them, but, you know, a lot of them came in when he got fired that first week, and he still coached in his last game and or whatever. And so they they came in for that, and then obviously for his memorial. So yeah, um, I did a lot with, with former athletes. And, um, yeah, and I have a whole section of Penn State stories I did on my YouTube channel. Yeah. But um, it was surreal, and I did a lot of national radio hits. Mm-hmm. So when I worked at Fox Sports Radio and ESN Radio, a lot of those producers went on to work other shows, whether yeah. they're political shows or other sports shows. Yeah. They're all asking me to do hits. And then I would do, like, for other CBS affiliates around the country, I would do TV hits. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was a crazy, surreal time. And I still can't believe I lived through that, honestly. And the, uh, this unfortunate thing is you also lived through Jerry Sandusky. I mean, was that... For, for well, someone on... I didn't have to cover him. Right. But our news team covered him. Yeah. Right. But you living in it, me not living in it from afar, it was hard to not put the two of them together. Not to wonder how could people not have known what Sandusky, how did Paterno not know what Sandusky was doing? Players that had come out, obviously after the fact, people talking about, you know, the, the times that they would try to report on Sandusky and what he was doing. But for you, how were you able to separate or were you not able to separate trying to cover Joe Pa and the positive things and what he did for the university and football and not marry it with, okay, but he also was a part of what Jerry Sandusky did to all of those football players. Okay, you know, this is something I obviously had to, to do in all my hits. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I was not from State College. I did not have, you know, I was I, I was partial. Like, I didn't, I wasn't for one side or the other. Because obviously everyone outside of State College felt like everyone living in State College was living in a bubble. Yeah. Like, so my thing with Joe Paterno is he is just, you know, football, football, football. That's his life. He was given the information. He reported it to the people he thought would take care of it. He obviously said in hindsight, I should have followed up. I should have done more. But he passed it on to the proper people, and he thought it would be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And he went back to focusing on what he what he knew best was football. So, um, I, honestly, when he got fired, I, I was like, he's, he's going he's gonna to die. This is going to kill him. And, wow. and, and, and plus, he wasn't in great health. Yeah. So, Nobody was surprised when he died a month and a half later. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, because that couple was bad health, but that just killed him. I mean, with all that that was happening, because obviously he was living with a, a major burden, wishing he would have done more. But I think like his just old school mindset is, I did what I thought I was supposed to do, and then I'm going to go back to 
doing my job. Yes, he should have done more. Yeah. But, you know, I think my biggest thing with, with all that is the student athletes that were punished after that, like, you know, I, I understand why they, they gave this, they did the sanctions and stuff, but um, I know there's an outcry when they were kind of lifted a little bit earlier than what people thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just didn't feel like the student athletes should be punished because these kids have worked so hard yeah. um, to get there. And, and honestly, you know, the group of student athletes that stayed, that, you know, obviously they were, they were allowed to leave and a few left. Mm-hmm. But a lot, of, a lot of players stayed. And there's actually some of my friends here in, in D.C., and there's a big Hollywood producer. They're actually did a, a, a documentary or a movie called, it's not a movie, it's a documentary, but um, it's called Iron Lions. Mm-hmm. And it's on those, those student athletes, those players that stayed and that kept stayed. the team together yeah. for Bill O'Brien. Yeah, and so um, I'm glad that there's something done recognizing them. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that's my biggest thing coming out of it, too. But it, it, I, I understand. I understand why people blame Joe Paterno, but I obviously, I think that he felt like he did, at the time, he thought he did what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Obviously, he should have followed up, followed up. And speaking of staying and going, you know, after Joe Pop passes on, you moved on to Houston, back to Houston, uh, to work for Comcast Sportsnet Houston, covering the Rockets, Astros, and Dynamo. Um, did... Did Altoona kind of catapult you to Houston, or was more of you wanted to go back? No, it definitely catapulted me back. I, I mean, my contract was going to be coming up, so um, you know, I was definitely looking, working on my new demo, uh, looking mm-hmm. to move up because that's what you do when you work in a small market. You try to, you know, move up. And so, uh, yeah, I just learned about this. I can't even remember who told me. Um, that this new network was being developed or was starting up, and it was just perfect timing. I actually, Comcast Sports was actually based in Philly at the time, the yeah. main headquarters. They're now in Stanford, Connecticut with NBC Sports because I actually owns NBC Sports. But um, they uh, were starting a network, and it was a TV partner for the Rockets, Astros, and Dynamo. Obviously covered the Texans heavily in high school and all that, and Rice and U of H. But, uh, yeah, it worked out perfectly. I, I remember covering Bill O'Brien taking over at Penn State, Mm-hmm. And I was there. Um, my last thing I did in state college was I, I actually did a freelance job for Big Ten Network covering Bill O'Brien's first win at Penn State. Mm-hmm. And then I moved literally that Monday, right after that game, down to Houston. And then, like, what, a year and a half later, he was hired down there as the Texans head coach. So yeah. it was crazy. And he brought half of his staff. So yeah. <laughs> um, I really respected what he yeah, I really respected what he did at Penn State because it was really hard for anyone to come in that position. Yeah. And new, not just try to keep a team together and try to actually win, mm-hmm. but um, all the PR that he had to do to put out fires and just, the, you know, the bad publicity. He had to just do so much more above and beyond what a normal yeah. coach would have to do coming into that situation. So I really just always respected him for doing that. And so, you know, it was great for me to see some of those guys come down to Houston. And I actually wrote an article um, for, our, for CSN Houston, for our digital, for our website, what I learned about Bill O'Brien at Penn State because in a lot of like media members in Houston read it when because they didn't know anything about him really. Yeah. So I was able to that was really cool for me to cover him up there and then also when he came to Houston. I mean that it, it just seems so bizarre to say that, you know, he, he almost followed you there, sort of. <laughs> I did tell him that. Yeah. Joking, yeah. Was that I said, Yeah, you follow me? Was that J- James Harden's first season in Houston or second? Oh no, we we covered him. Uh, we covered him coming there. 
Yeah, yeah, that was his first season. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, what was what was that like? I mean, the Rockets. I mean, James Harden was like the first young superstar. I mean, a budding superstar as he came from the Oklahoma City Thunder, but to come to the Rockets and basically try to resurrect that team, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously exciting. I mean, mm-hmm. whenever you have someone like that come in, it's, it was definitely exciting. I mean... And that was I Jeremy mean, Lin, what, too. What club wouldn't like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, he's obviously a big name, especially overseas. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was... It was definitely fun, you know, for the, the, the network. <laughs> yeah. To be able to cover that. And, and also... Um, it was really cool because we, that's when the Astros had moved over to the American League. Yeah. And the first season that we became TV partners with them, and obviously they were the worst team in baseball back then, but, um, it was cool to, to cover, carry them as well. They still might be the worst team in basketball. I mean, baseball, they didn't learn about trash cans. Oh, I know. I'm sure they'll go back to that. Yeah. I, I can see that. Uh, looking back on those Astros, what did you think of what they've been going through after the past... Oh boy, I'd say six months are probably the worst public relations ever for any team as far as cheating and just so blatantly with the trash cans and using the center field camera. What are your thoughts on what they've been going through and the punishment that was dealt to management, but not so much to the players? Yeah, um, I I mean, it's been tough. You know, now that I'm not recovering them, I can say just stepping back as a fan, it's obviously been tough as a fan to to watch. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I actually worked the World Series games in Houston, so, uh, gosh, <laughs> this is difficult. So I will say, um, obviously, I, I feel like other, definitely other teams cheat, and probably obviously not to that level, but when you're given electronics, like, people are going to find a way to cheat. Now, I feel like banging on trash cans, is, there probably should be um, – I don't know, more smarter ways to cheat than that. I think being in a trash can is not very smart. I mean, <laughs> someone's going to figure that out sooner or later. Yeah. And I'm actually surprised it was not figured out sooner than now. Yeah. I mean, it took someone blowing the whistle. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say it really bothered me the way they handled it because I, all those players are really, really good guys. And I just feel like they should, they just, should have apologized, admitted it, and apologized right away, and then moved on. And instead, they were acting like they didn't do anything wrong. And they should have just stopped talking. They should have just said, apologize, and just stopped talking. And they kept talking. Yeah. Like, Please shut up. Please yeah. Shut up. Um, it was just pain. It's painful to watch. And um, I, I just, it's 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 heartbreaking because I know they're good guys, and it's just I can't believe that they yeah participated in something like that. Like I'm still in awe or dumbfounded that they actually did something like that and we'll probably i mean we're we're never going to know unless he admits it but like altuve and even alex bregman but more altuve talking about how he wasn't wearing a wire and he it was a tattoo he didn't want to show but all the videos showing him telling the players not to take off his jersey like video plays such an integral part in being able to, unfortunately, not be... You can't cover up a lie. Like, it's its harder when, when it's on video. And I think showing him tug on his jersey and tell the players not to take it off, even though he was hitting a, 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 what may be the best home run of his career, it just... I don't know. It seems like too weird of a coincidence for me. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's, I've been trying to, like, not to kind of block it out. Yeah. <laughs> I try not to pay too much attention to it because it is painful. And, you know, gosh, it's crazy that this, now that there might not even be a season at all. Yeah. You don't even have to worry yeah. about, you know, players taking it, other, some other teams taking it in their own hands, at least for now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll still happen eventually, but... Um, I, you know, well, I'm, I'm curious, um, I'm curious what, what made Mike Fires come out after all this time. And, you know, yeah. David Ortiz said that. Um, I'm just curious, I'm actually friends with him on Facebook, and I, I feel like if I reached out to him and asked him, he wouldn't, he would not give me a, a you know, an honest answer, or would not yeah. answer me at all. But I'm just, I'm so curious, why now? You and Will Bond, that'll be a documentary you're going to work on in like five or ten years, you'll come back. Under the Fires. That's just going to be. Uh, did you get to reconnect with, with uh, Charles Barkley, your good friend, when you went back to Houston? Um, I, you know what? I, I, I see him a lot just kind of throughout the year. Um, sometimes it might be a year. Sometimes it's several times a year. Yeah. It just depends on what's going on. Over the past year, I've seen him probably like four times. Um, he's just, I mean, the guy is just the best. Like, it's what you see is what you get. He's so generous. Mm-hmm. The funniest guy ever. Like, everything that comes out of his mouth is hilarious, as you all know. Like, and my favorite things about him um, is just sitting and being able to sit like with a small group and just shoot the shit with him. You know, like he assembles the best group of people. Yeah. Uh, and I always meet great people through him. Can you tell me a so, funny uh, story? You know, I try, I, nothing huge stick out my mind because every moment with him is hilarious <laughs> to be honest yeah so I, I'm, I'm you're, you're on the floor laughing the entire time but you're also sitting there having serious discussions because he's so passionate about things and yeah. so um he's just I, i'm just so blessed i'm so blessed to have known him since 98 yeah I, really i and I'm, that we've been able to stay in touch and be friends and i think it's definitely helped that i work with mike because mm-hmm. Mike's around him a lot too. So, and then the fact that I'm still around the NBA puts me around yeah. Barkley a lot more. Those are two so. of my favorite shows: NBA on TNT and PTI. Like, a- Amen. It's Amen. They, I <laughs> can't. It's the chemistry. Yeah. It's the chemistry that they all have. Yeah. There's, it's huge. Mm-hmm. We think of PTI. It's obviously set the gold standard with the debate style shows. So many shows that try to follow suit, but none of them work out like them because no. they don't have the chemistry. They're not friends. Yes. Like Mike yes. and Tony are. That that's what it is. Uh, that's what it is. It's the friendship that that is the catalyst for why it's been so successful. It's almost twenty years. They're gonna be on the air for almost twenty years, and you're know, you're a part of that. Crazy. Yeah. So crazy. I mean, and, and what's so funny with them on the show is like it's just a continuation of them. There yeah. have to be cameras on them. Like they're doing that before the show. They're doing it after the show when they're getting their makeup taken off at the same time. They're still going at it. <laughs> I mean, it's unreal. Like. They just happen to sit down on a set and there happen to be cameras rolling. Are y'all planning a, a big but, celebration for PTI number 20? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be a huge one. So yeah. I can't wait. I mean, I'm, I I have to... That's actually something I talked to Eric Whitehelm about. Um, yeah. At some point, I'm sure they're... I can't wait, though. He's a genius. Be, He's... He, 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 he is... Un, I'm, like, in awe of him. Yeah. Uh, he is just... He's so... Uh, just so smart, intellectual, and just the ideas he comes up with. I mean, just success, one success after another. Yeah. He's really good at spotting top yeah. talent. And um, I understand Scott Van Pelt 
is going to be moved. ESPN, his show is going to be Sports Center. Show is going to be moving down to DC. That's what I heard. Yeah, yeah it's, it's exciting. And then actually, his set because you know PTI got a new set. And yeah, it's gorgeous. It looks great on TV. Yeah. Um, but so that set in this big uh, studio moved to where around the horn used to be, and then now Scott Van Pelt's going to be where the PTI set used to be. Oh, awesome. Okay, that's pretty cool. One last okay. thing. You like Moonlighting. That was one of my favorite shows with Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd. Oh, my God. Wasn't it the best ever? I I mean, I watched the pilot episode, and I'm like, it is the banter between those two, it's nonstop. It's brilliant. Yes. I mean, I love that show. I actually, I, I was telling someone this the other day. Um, I, was, I went out on a, a trip with some of my girlfriends. They were like some national track meet out in L.A. when we were living in small town Texas mm-hmm. when we were in middle school. And um, we were just, we got in all kinds of trouble. Like, you know, the, the chaperones were like always yelling at us. And we, so I, cause, because one night I actually got, I did a shaving cream trick for, that I learned from Moonlighting. Yeah. Put shaving cream <laughs> in a brown paper bag. You slip it at the opening part under the door and you step on it and it goes all over the other side of the door all over the room. <laughs> And I got that for moonlighting, and I did it out there, and we got in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 oh, my God. I'm so glad there's another fan out there. Oh, oh, I, I love it. Oh, uh, uh, well, the thing is, I can't figure out how to get it. Like, it's not on Netflix, Hulu. We got to start a right. campaign. Yeah. There's a, the first three episodes, I think, I found them online. But okay. That, yeah, not Yeah. Up. You're yeah, right. we, we need to. Let's let's work on that. Yeah, somebody on eBay wants one hundred and seventy three dollars for all five <laughs> seasons on DVD. I, mean, I, I might almost say that. Yeah, there's a zillion other shows on right now. Yeah, that good. No, I mean, I, I became a big fan of Bruce Willis after that. Anything he's in, I pretty much watch. It's mm-hmm. just I just like him. But Sarah, I could talk to you forever, and <laughs> we have gone on oh, for you know, over. I, yeah. I just want to say this real quick. I, I want to thank all the frontline workers out there um, just for, for putting themselves or putting, you know, the lives of others in front of their own and um, healthcare workers, especially grocery store workers, people who are, all the people out there working around the public. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just so eternally grateful for what they're doing. And, you know, I'm trying to volunteer and donate when I can. Uh, my heart is breaking for all those people and for all anyone being affected by it financially, people who've lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just want to thank all those people, and my heart goes out to all the people who are suffering from what's going on. Yeah, I second that. I mean, when you like, we can stay in our homes, and especially the healthcare workers and the essential, you know, uh, jobs and businesses that have to be on the front lines and be in the public eye and and interact with with us. It it can't be easy to do, and and. You know, I just hope that we all can play a role in helping, encouraging them. You know, I love hearing about hotels giving up their their rooms for healthcare workers, people that go out and, you know, maybe you didn't get takeout that often, maybe once every two or three weeks, but now you're doing it two or three times a week, not buying the mask, making sure that the healthcare workers get the mask, donating whatever money to people who may have lost a job because of this. Um, this is definitely changing everyone's life. And uh, yeah, Sarah, those are wonderful words. Those are wonderful words. And uh, I've noticed Thanks on social for media. Me on. Yeah. 
Sarah, thank you so much. This was wonderful. I really You're appreciate welcome. it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. And uh, I don't even know how to end it. I, I get so many things. Okay, we're done. We're done. If you made it to the end, I applaud you. Sarah's great. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I want to thank Sarah Eckert again for coming on the podcast and thank you again for listening. You can find Just for Sport on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and more. Be sure to subscribe, share it, and leave a review. Ciao for now.